This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! We are in week 16, Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak getting ready for Christmas in Cleveland, Jeff. And Christmas in the Cleve. Well, the Saints didn't practice on Tuesday. They did have an estimated injury report. I know we're going to get into that a little bit because there are two surprises, I guess you would say, on it. And we'll be also looking at some of the breakdowns you had from the Saints-Falcons game. I'm sure a Rashid Shaheed play might be in there. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get into some of that. We're going to get into, obviously, the injury report. Uh, We're going to talk about it's going to be freaking cold this weekend out in Cleveland, like single digits cold, like possibly the coldest game the Saints have ever played in kind of cold. Like, obviously, I have no way of tracking that, but it's got to be close. Uh, so we're going to get into that. And then also, I do want to talk about, even though I promised I wouldn't do it anymore, uh, I want to go through the scenarios for how the Saints actually get to the playoffs because, you know, I, I promised I wouldn't, but I did get leave a caveat of, like, if weird things happen, we might revisit it, and weird things have happened, a.k.a. the Bucks have continued to suck. Um, and so that's the only reason I think there is hope because the Bucks have been that bad. So we're going to go through what has to happen for the Saints to make the playoffs because whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to waste your time on it or not, the Saints are playing meaningful football in week 16 of the NFL season. And, you know, the team, the team, the team definitely feels that way. Um, and then finally, yeah, we're going to go through some of the film and then I want to break down, you know, who is the Saints MVP at this point of the season? There's not a lot to choose from, but we'll we'll find it. We'll find it. You might be surprised by my answer because it's gonna it's gonna annoy people, but, but it's gonna be there. So stick around for that. But you know, first things first, Steve, do you have snow boots and a parka and you know just a general feeling of well-being because definitely, you're going out to Cleveland? I'm definitely under- gonna be bundled up from head to toe for sure. The only thing I'm worried about, I don't really have like a face shield, uh kind of ski mask set up and I'm not really a scarf guy so I don't know what's what I'm going to do about the face area yet I'm, I might have to just suck it up and and bundle the head around a scarf and deal with it because yeah single yeah. digits 
single digits for three hours is kind of um, it's going to be a bit uncomfortable to say the least. Hanging by the heaters on the sideline. Yeah, I was going to say it's funny because like as much as that's going to suck. Imagine what it's like sitting in the stands. <laughs> it's probably exactly. going to be worse, especially for the right. maniacs who are going to have their shirts off. Stuff in the like the what the dog pound is that what they call it? Yeah. Oof, oof. But yeah, so I believe if I'm reading this correctly, let's see the 10 day forecast from weather.com Saturday. And the Saints are leaving early because of the threat weather. Yes, the Saints are leaving on Thursday because it is supposed to snow on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So there will probably be some snow on the field. Somewhere Sean Payton is muttering about cleats. Yeah, you're looking at a high of 13 degrees. That's the high. That is the warmest it will be on that day. 13 degrees. <laughs> That's not a real number. It's How's like, what, humanly it's like possible, right, now right? In New Orleans, 52. It's 52 degrees right now, and I'm bundled up. Uh, Me too. I got my sweater on and everything for sure. Like, that's not a real temperature. That's, 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 oh man, 13 degrees. And the wild thing is like, it's like, it's the weather is being cold specifically for the saints to be there. Like, (laughs) I mean, if you go, like, if you went today, it would be 37 degrees. If you went on Thursday, it'd be 45. If you went the week after it would be in the forties this week, it it is the Arctic. Right. Yeah. So the one thing I'll say is if there was any team if there was any non-Ohio-based team that is built to succeed in an Ohio winter, it's the Saints. Obviously, you've got all the Ohio State players. We always talk about that. But also, your quarterback is Andy Dalton, a guy who played the first nine seasons of his NFL career in Cincinnati. It's obviously not Cleveland, but it's not too far away. The climate's the same. That is one thing that I'll say that the Saints probably have an advantage in is Andy Dalton is probably more comfortable playing in this weather than Deshaun Watson is. Because Deshaun Watson, I mean, he went... To Clemson, that's in South Carolina. It never doesn't really get cold. He went, he played his entire NFL career in Houston up to this point. Definitely doesn't get cold there. So, you know, this is his first experience of the Cleveland winter. So he's not going to like, I, if you're looking at a disadvantage for the weather in terms of the quarterback position, probably Deshaun. Either way, honestly, just because obviously the wind's going to affect both quarterbacks' passes. But yet, you know, Deshaun's going to want to push the field down the field more than Dalton would, and I'd be much more comfortable with Andy's short to mid game compared to, you know, what we've seen with Watson, especially he's still getting acclimated to things in Cleveland. I know it hasn't been great to start his season so far. I just, I just know the, the the conditions and Dennis Allen talked about this. It's going to be the same for both teams. Obviously it's going to be cold and windy. You know, but look, it's going to be cold and windy for both teams. Um, and so, um, you know, we're not going to we're not going to make too big a deal about it. Um, you know, we're going to prepare for the Cleveland Browns and, and then we'll have to adjust, you know, from a game plan standpoint. You know, how do you adjust to the to the elements? Sounds like it might be a little windy uh, based on what I'm saying as of right now. So we'll monitor that throughout the week. But um, really, the focus really has to be on. Um, the team we're playing um, and not really about the elements. Yeah. So what I'm seeing here is winds between 25 and 35 miles an hour, which isn't crazy, but it is significant. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's coming I think off the, that Cleveland water. <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, I think the wind is going to be more of an issue than the, than the temperature itself. And obviously if there's precipitation, there's a 50% chance of snow. I mean, when's the last time the saints played in snow? 
was it the playoffs like early 2000s mid 2000s man i can't even think of a snow like oh uh, yeah like for chicago is I know really they the went last to thing face, i think i went to play the eagles one year i'm not sure if it was snowing for that game in the playoffs 2014 saints won 26 24 i didn't snow it was just cold as shit a dome team from the south headed up to you know northern winter conditions it spells chaos for sure except they won the saints won that game 26 24 so like you know everyone wants to say oh this team can't win in the cold well right. you know they can right the, the saints can go up there and win it's just a matter of doing it they um, haven't won outside this year though no but there hasn't been because of the cold <laughs> no but they have not won an outdoor game i guess it was it was pretty cold in pittsburgh i think it might have been close, colder when they went out to to santa clara um i remember you saying it was pretty cold that day but yeah i mean sure yeah they haven't won outside but the good news is the game's at noon so we don't have to worry about talking about andy dalton's primetime record so amen to that and they're, they're gonna get back-to-back cold weather games so you better get used to it because <laughs> they're gonna be in philadelphia the next week <laughs> well, be, so. because whether we like it not we, we joke with the andy dalton primetime stats i mean you look at it now just this season in new orleans and primetime andy has been much different than afternoon andy yeah, well, yeah, we don't have to watch any more of those. Uh, no, definitely not. I love the fact you mentioned the whole obvious Ohio State connection with the Saints that everyone would mock or make fun of, but it's like, you know what? Watch these Ohio State players end up balling out in this game, which will be hilarious. No, I mean, I think it's a factor, right? Like like Chris Olave literally played in this until last year. Like it's not going to be as big of a deal for him because they didn't, they played outside. Like there's no, not a lot of domes in college football. Right. Um, so they're, they're used to it. Um, like Although Warner, that leads right into the injury report. I mean, like if we're talking about like, if we were talking about like a Malcolm Jenkins, I wouldn't give him credit because he it had been 12 years since he had been there. But for a guy like Pete Warner, he was there two years ago, right? Malcolm played in Philly for a while though. That's true. Yeah, but he's not on the team anymore. So it doesn't matter. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Ohio State guys, uh, I saw Nick Vanette out there catching passes for the Giants uh, on Sunday night. So good for him. He's getting played. He, he was active or no? Yeah, caught a pass. How do you think he caught a pass? Steve, what kind of question is that? You I think he was just hanging on the sideline catching passes? I felt like you saw him warming up or something. No, I saw him in the game. Because you said multiple, and I couldn't believe he caught multiple passes uh, in the game. One. I mean, I saw him <laughs> catching a pass. Uh, but yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, is that Cody Bellinger? I'm like, no, it's it's some guy I recognize. It's Nick Burnett. Look at that. He's out there. Good for him. One, gonna one go of the, the better low-key locker room dudes that, well, we don't talk to, obviously. Yeah, he's going to go to the playoffs because the Saints – wouldn't put him on the roster. So definitely a case, a uh, good dude. And you know, someone you want a better opportunity for. So yeah, good for Nick Finette. Yeah. He's a good locker room guy. He's a good player, plays hard, works hard. Right. He's on a roster, but all right. So they did put out an injury report today. The saints, as we mentioned, they are traveling on Thursday. It's kind of a weird week because they play on Saturday. I still haven't like, it hasn't kind of like computed in my head yet that they play on Saturday. I'm still not adjusted to it. Like we're going to have our pregame show on Saturday instead of Sunday. And so I'm going to have to remind myself to set my alarm so I can wake up and get to the studio for 8 a.m. <laughs> like, that's going to be weird. But then I'll have Sunday off, which would be nice. So let's get into the injury report, which the Saints sent out today. Again, we mentioned they're playing on Saturday. They're traveling on Thursday. So they didn't actually practice today. They got the day off. And, you know, when you get a win, you usually get a get some extra time there. And I think, you know, when you're dealing with a roster this beat up, that's, that's, that's smart. So this is an estimated injury report. It's the same thing you would have seen like on the, on the short week for like uh, Thursday night football. They, a lot of times they wouldn't practice that first day. So it's an estimated injury report. But these are the players who would have been limited had they practiced today. 
Marshawn Lattimore with the abdomen injury, still there. Safety Marcus May with a shoulder injury, that's new. Uh, Ryan Ramchek, again, rest limited. I, I'm starting to wonder, why is he getting so much rest? <laughs> like, he gets more rest days than Tom Brady at this point, which makes me wonder, because I don't think Ryan has had a great season. And it's For a strange. while, I feel like it was rest slash knee was coming up. Yeah, yeah. Well, every now and then they'll put the knee in there, but it is he gets gets a lot of rest days. Um, so I want I do wonder if he is if he is a hundred percent like if he's ailing and he needs that extra time because it's too it's too consistent to just be like oh a veteran rest day right like it's every week he's off on Wednesdays. Adam yeah, Troutman, that's definitely seems it's just like a permanent day off for him. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, he's been on every injury report, but he doesn't always have an injury anyway. Adam Troutman limited with an ankle injury. PJ Williams limited with a knee injury. The only surprise on there is Marcus May. It feels like he's been listed on the injury report with about every body part just so far this season, right? Like, I feel like he's had abdomen, rib, shoulder, ankle, you know, you name it. And he went into the season with a torn Achilles that he was rehabbing. So, yeah, he's he, he's, he gets banged up. Yeah, rib and ankle were definitely popular ones for the Saints in general this year. Yes, and now illness, too. Speaking of illness, so these are the players who would not have practiced. And this is where... You know, you start to get a little concerned. Right. You know, you don't never get too concerned on the first day of practice, right? Because this at this point in the season, everyone's dealing with something. And a lot of times you just want to give guys a day off. And especially when you don't actually practice, you're just you're just being cautious and so like you can, you know, go forward. But wide receiver Chris Olave, I believe this is the first time since his concussion he has been listed with anything. Yep. He has a hamstring issue. He would not have practiced. Right guard Cesar Ruiz would not have practiced. He's dealing with a foot injury. Dwayne Washington, running back, would not have practiced. He still has that illness. He must must be a pretty nasty illness because he's missed a lot of time with it. Um, he didn't play. He wasn't active last week. And then linebacker Pete Werner coming back from that ankle injury this week. Now he's dealing with a hamstring issue and would not have practiced. So, you know, a lot of times you'll see that where guys come back from an injury and they may have been favoring one leg and all of a sudden you'll see a separate injury crop up because of that. Hopefully that's, you know, it's nothing significant, but, you know, that's that's not something you want to see after somebody's first game back. Like, for example, Eric McCoy came back this week. He's not on this injury report, so that's a good thing. No, you mentioned that's really unfortunate news. I mean, I guess you could say the good part of it is it's not another ankle issue for Warner, but sure. It, sure. I mean, it being a hamstring doesn't make you feel any better either. No, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Is like if it was an ankle injury and he re-injured it, then that would be bad. Obviously, because right. it's a surgically repaired ankle. Like he didn't, he actually did have surgery to fix that ankle, right? So if there was an ankle injury, you would be concerned. With a hamstring injury, hopefully it's just tight, tightness, soreness, right? And he can get back. But we'll know more tomorrow and yeah. Thursday when they actually practice because, you know, we'll see. I mentioned to you briefly, you know, the Olave in that game against Atlanta, he went in the, the blue tent for a little bit, but came out real quick and, you know, was right back on the bench with his helmet. So I definitely assumed it was like a quick tape job in there and he was back out, but he still played that game. It wasn't like he was out after that with any kind of issue. Yeah. Did you know AJ Green is on the Browns? No. It's because he's not. It's a different A.J. Green. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. Wait, I thought A.J. Green's actually Arizona. The other Arizona, Green. Yeah, but there is an A.J. Green, a cornerback named A.J. Green. I guess it's not that crazy of a name, right? It's just right. a color and a couple letters. <laughs> um, but, you know, so so if you want to if you want to feel a little better about the Saints injury report, you can go over and look at the Browns injury report yeah. because theirs is very significant. 
they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players who would have missed practice. And it's a very impressive list. You know, defensive end Miles Garrett's dealing with an illness. Defensive end Jadevian Clowney has a concussion. That's not good for him. That's going to be tough to come back from on a short week. Running back Nick Chubb dealing with a foot injury. So Huge. right now you have two number one overall picks, <laughs> your starting defensive ends, and your star running back, who basically the offense goes through on, on the injury report. We're not a practice and, today. And Garrett's top five in sacks right now, huh? Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. He's dealing with an illness, so I don't think he'll miss the game. But, you know, who knows? And I got to believe know. Chubb is top five as a running back. I'd say he's top one. Number one? Yeah. In wow. terms of production this year, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry has been hasn't really had that great of a season. Jonathan Stewart, no, Jonathan um, Taylor. Taylor has been, mm, and he's a no, dump yeah, of the year he's now. Been banged up. Well, he's done for the year with an injury now. So, yeah, I, I think Nick Chubb's probably, if you had a, if you had a, best running back award that you handed out at the end of the season, right? doesn't exist. You have offensive player of the year, but if there, if there was a award for number one running back, uh, like you have, like you would have in college, he would probably get it. That's, that's kind of where I'll say that, but okay. Moving on safety, John Johnson, the third, love that name. Uh, he's dealing with a thigh injury. He wouldn't have practiced guard Joel Batonio getting rest wide receiver, Amari Cooper rest slash hip. And then wide receiver Donovan people's Jones, another guy getting rest. So that's a pretty, pretty extensive list of players who are not practicing for the Browns. And then cornerback Denzel Ward is dealing with a shoulder injury. He'd have been limited. Linebacker Jordan Kunasek, Kunasek, hamstring injury. He'd have been limited. David Bell, wide receiver, toe injury limited. So <laughs> Saints are not alone. And I, I, don't, I don't think it, you should take for granted when you're not feeling well and it's suddenly freezing cold. It doesn't help. It doesn't make you feel better. <laughs> no, and this will just be Deshaun Watson's fourth game. He's definitely not, you know, performing as they would like right now and doesn't have enough time on task, obviously, with these guys as is. Yeah, right. So if, when they're not practicing. And, and the Buck Browns actually did practice today, at least according to this. It doesn't say that estimated. they did. So I'm assuming they practiced. Yeah, it right. says estimated for the Saints. It does not say estimated for the Browns. So, yeah, I mean, these are reps, right? He didn't get reps all season long with these guys. So he kind of needs these reps with guys like Amari Cooper, right? You would imagine. So, yeah, I mean, for once, it doesn't seem like the Saints are on the wrong side of injury woes, at least not to, this, to, the, to the extent that you're going to say, well, they can't win this game because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, the obviously you don't the the biggest one would be we've seen the team survive without Pete Werner, but this offense without potential you know rookie of the year candidate Chris Olave and what he's meant so far to it, it would be a significant hit obviously if he's not able to go. Even though you still have some other nice pieces in a Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, Jawan Johnson, I can throw him in the mix now. I like that you didn't say Jarvis Landry. Man, Jarvis has been quiet. He's been disappointing. Um, I don't know if he's dealing, still dealing with the ankle or whatever. Like people, people have wanted to trash Tyron Matthew all season. Like they had all these high expectations for Tyron Matthew when they think he's been playing horribly. And you know, every every you know rating service you find say he's not. But the guy I'm disappointed in is Jarvis. I had high hopes for Jarvis, especially after Week One, and he's been absent. You know, obviously he had the injury. But, you know, he had a chance to make a play in this game on third down. He dropped it. So, like, yeah, he didn't have a single catch in this game. No. So, we'll see. But I think that's it. Unless there's something else you wanted to add. 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking now of like, you, it's sad that a Jarvis Landry has disappeared. You'd imagine, I mean, Marquez Callaway is another guy really. And also Traquan Smith, you look at that receiver room and there's just people that haven't been factors at all really. And just makes you appreciate more, I guess, of what Chris Olave and a guy like Rashid Shaheed can do. But all right, let's wrap up that segment and then we'll move on to part two, which is the optimistic part of the program. Not talking about the cold, we're talking about the potential warm and fuzzy feelings that could come if the Saints back their way into the playoffs, which, believe it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, is still a possibility. Need a Christmas miracle. on inside black and gold and i again as i mentioned at the top of the show i do apologize because i am a liar because two weeks ago when the saints blew the game to the bucks i was like okay i'm gonna stop talking about it i'm gonna stop talking about the chances to make the playoffs it's over right well I, at that point i didn't expect the bucks to to cooperate quite Flop. as amicably as they have but i mean the only reason there's a chance to make for the saints to make the playoffs is because the bucks don't deserve to be in the playoffs and are playing like a team that doesn't want to be there except for that three minute stretch against the saints in that one game you know they've lost three or four games and the only game they won was a game they trailed by 13 with less than five minutes to go so like that's the team that you have to try to catch that's the team that you have to hope loses a couple games down the stretch okay fine you know we can talk about it again and yeah so the interesting thing to me is if you go on you know these projection prediction websites They'll say like 2% chance to make the playoffs. I think ESPN has it a little better, like 4 or 5% for the Saints. But it is kind of crazy to me how low that number is considering how simple the path is to get there. And like the only reason I can, I can imagine that it's so low is because no one expects the Saints to win their final three games considering they haven't won back-to-back games all year. And okay, you know, that's fair. Yeah, to me, to me it's like it's not that... The, the odds, I guess, being that low are surprising. But when you think about the fact that, yeah, this team still has to win back-to-back-to-back-to-back games. Yeah, it's tough when you haven't won two games in a row all year and then all of a sudden you... They still need help after that, too. They can't even just win out. Yeah, but I mean, if you do win out, your I think your odds are good. Like, that's the thing, is the stuff yeah, but- that you need help with is not significant. And we can go through it right now. So Saints finish the season... They go out to Cleveland this week in the freezing cold. Then they go up to Philadelphia in the freezing cold. And then they come back home and face the Panthers, right? Right. On its face, sure, you know, that's tough. Except I believe it was reported today that Jalen Hurts has a has a he has a shoulder injury. Um, there's been some some disputed reports about a, a collarbone injury. Either way, you're talking about an Eagles team that by week 17 will probably have clinched the top seed in the NFC because the Cowboys aren't really that close. The Vikings are two games behind with a head-to-head loss. So if the Eagles win this week, then they're pretty much clinched. So do you rush Jalen Hurts back out there? Do you try to rest him a little bit extra, even with the bye week? I don't know. The Saints did it, and, and it was and were successful, right? So it's, it's going to be a question. And at the same time, even if you do play your starters – if there's anyone with even a hint of an injury, right? Like at this point in the season, so many people are playing through stuff. If you have a guy who's like going to have to gut it out, he's not playing. 
right? So in that sense, it's going to mean a hell of a lot more to the Saints than it will to the Eagles. And, you know, maybe that's the difference in that game, right? CJ Gardner-Johnson won't be there to hype everybody up, you know? I think earlier in the season, I said, like, you know, maybe there's a chance the Saints get out there and the Eagles are so far away from everybody else that they lay a dud. But there was no way that CJ was going to let that happen. CJ's not going to play. CJ's out for the year, or at least he's on injured reserve. I don't know if maybe they bring him back before the playoffs. But so, you know, I think that's that's helpful for the Saints in terms of like, yeah, this Eagles team may just go out there and lay a dud and the Saints can take advantage. Um, so I don't think that that that's they're going to be heavy favorites or the Saints are going to be heavy underdogs. But I don't think it's it's that crazy of an idea to think they could go out there and win that game. The one thing I do think that Philadelphia still has something to play for in the game just because they own the Saints first round pick and they could further damage, you know, the their the, the help help their draft stock now while knocking the Saints down a peg. And I mean, I don't think that's going to be their sole intent goal going into it, but it's still in the back of their head, like beating them helps them come the NFL draft at least. Players don't give a shit about that. No, but the team, I mean, the team does, obviously. Yeah, but the players don't care. And the coaches don't care. Like, if you, yeah, sure. The front office. the coaches care. No. No NFL coach who is focused on winning a Super Bowl gives any type of a care over a oh, we can beat them and we'll you know we're going to we're going to do things that could be detrimental to us winning a Super Bowl this year to try to twist the knife on a team because oh we might get one slot better in the draft. If the Eagles are thinking about that right now, if anyone on the Eagles coaching staff or or roster is thinking about that in week 17 of a season where they're the top seed in the playoffs and have to expect that they should be winning a Super Bowl. They should be fired right now, <laughs> like because they're, they're like that. That that cannot be what they're focused on, right? So, like in theory, sure, there's something to play for. But in reality, if you have a question, if you're considering sitting somebody down because of health concerns, because of oh, okay, they have an injury where oh maybe they will make it a little worse if they play, and we don't have to deal with that at all, you know, and you're not making that decision differently because oh it's the Saints and we have their pick. Ooh. Because at the end of the day, it's like it might not even change the spot, right? Like it's not no, going to change that much. What I think, huh? it, could t- it could potentially give them like a top five pick almost. No, no, they're they're not getting a top five pick. If the season ended today, they'd have a, the ninth pick. Okay, so right, I mean, that, they, that definitely okay falls out of top ten. If the yeah, you're talking, you'd be talking about the difference between picking like twelfth and picking like tenth, maybe. Like it's not going to change that much. Yeah, and I'm not saying like the Eagles would risk the health of Jalen Hurts over the draft pick, but I'm sure at the end of the day, he's a guy that wants to play anyway. It's not like he has that on his mind about the Saints. I mean, the yeah, the trade between the teams that now would help get his team a better draft pick, but I think Hurts wants to play kind of thing, especially I if mean, he's going after MVP. I mean, maybe, but my point is like the, that that will not be a factor for the players on the field or the coaching staff. It won't. See, I think the coaches would kind of be like, well, we, we get this game. It helps improve us come draft day. They're getting a the pick either way, right? Like, it's not. It's not gonna. It's not gonna factor into their decision making, and it shouldn't. Yeah, like that's just that's a fan driven idea that the, that the actual team on the field gives a f- about where they pick in the draft in terms of how it's determined on the Saints side of things. They want to win the game because they don't want to lose a game. Like they're not gonna go out there and tank. But the 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 point is like they don't have much to play for and. They're not going to be like, you know, the Saints, when you say the Saints have something to play for, it's like, yeah, they're playing for their lives. 
They're playing for the season. So they're going to go out there and have motivation. No one on the Eagles is like, well, this game doesn't really matter, but oh man, we can pick 10th instead of 11th. Oh, well, I'm we'll going to run harder. I'm going to go, I'm going to give that extra 10% that I don't have to. Like, that's we'll not see, how we got a whole nother week to get to that. Yeah, right. And it's not even like really a, a question right now unless you beat the Browns. Right. So, but, but it's like, I'm just saying, like, it's not unreasonable to think that if you can get past the Browns, you can beat the Eagles. And then if you can beat the Eagles, you're on a three-game winning streak and you come home and you beat the Panthers, right? Like, so that all that said, that's what the Saints have to do. And I don't think it's crazy. I don't think there's, you know, two percent is 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 the reasonable number, but whatever. And then on the Bucks side, the Bucks, a team that has lost three of four games and has been terrible, had a 17-3 lead on the Bengals and completely just just pissed it away. They go out to Arizona this week. It's hard to see a scenario where the Cardinals with, I don't know, Trace McSorley, right? Like, I don't know if Colt McCoy is going to play. He's dealing with an injury. Kyler Murray's out for the season. So that's tough. It's a tough sell to, for me to say, oh, yeah, the, the Cardinals are going to yeah, beat the Bucks, But they are at home. You know, crazy things have happened. Maybe Trace McSorley has the game of his life. Maybe the Bucks just continue to suck. You need James Conner, the Terminator. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's possible, right? And so if the Saints go out and beat the Browns and the Bucks go out and lose to the Cardinals, all of a sudden you're like, Man, this is very possible, right? That two percent chance has to balloon to at least like twelve or fifteen, right? To to me, the problem though is it just gets weaker from Arizona. Then you got, you know, Carolina. Then you got Atlanta. What are you talking about? I know it's divisional matchups and all, but but still, I mean, you the Panthers and the Falcons have better records than the Cardinals. The Panthers have already beaten the Saints or the Falcons once. Why would that be? Why would you give the Bucks an advantage in that? In a and over who? The Panthers. When the, they played the, earlier this season, the Bucks couldn't even score. Panthers beat them 21 to 3. Yeah, but that's when you had it. It was a totally different offense that, that than for Carolina. Yeah. They could have scored six in one. <laughs> that's my point. Is Tom, that defense Tom is still the there. right there. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, like, why would you say that? Like the, the Panthers don't have a chance in that game is my point. Like, again, I, I get it. Like the Bucs should be better than they are, but we're still talking about the Bucs, this shitty team, right? So like, why can't they lose to the Panthers? To me, I just, I just think of Carolina going to Tampa and it's like, yeah, good luck with that. I guess, but like the Bucs can't no, beat anybody. Not, nothing about Carolina scares me though. Fine. Again, my point is like, there's no reason to think that the Panthers can't beat this Bucks team. This team that just lost 35 to seven, to the 49ers this team that lost to the browns <laughs> you know <laughs> this team that just I, I i don't know what else to say like this is not a good football team so whatever no, 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 you they, have they've that beaten the Saint, they've beaten the, the seahawks they've beaten the rams just like the saints have and the saints also lost to the panthers right so i'm just saying like like there's no reason to think like this bucks team is suddenly going to start being a good football team so like fine i get it you need good things to happen for you if you're the Saints and you're just not used to that happening. I and mean, why would you expect good things after all the shit that's happened this year? But the Bucks could very much lose to the Panthers. And then in week 18, they have to go up to Atlanta and play a Falcons team that, sure, they probably will be out of it by then, but they will be going all out because they'll want to finish the season on a positive note with a rookie quarterback, right? Like you're not going to be tanking with a rookie quarterback in there because you don't want to just kill his confidence. So there's going to be well, no... I, I hope Ritter looks better against the Bucks than he did against us. I mean, he probably will, right? He'll be in his fourth start at that point, right? So, I mean, that's... You kind of you get better as you go. Um, and so, yeah, maybe they do, do something. But at the same time, 
I would much rather have it already kind of in the bag and just need a win in week 18 to get that to happen. So, yeah, you're going to be rooting hard for the Cardinals this week. So you need Um, two Tampa losses, right? Yeah, you need them to lose two of these three games and you need to win all three years. That's why we're at 2%. (laughs) Yeah, but again, it's not crazy. Like, it's not like – like 2% to me is typically going to be like, oh, you can win out and you still need like three other teams to lose three games of their last five. For example, like the Saints technically could win the final wild card spot, but they would need each of the Lions, the Seahawks, and Washington to lose either two or three of their final three games. It's like, that's not going to happen, right? That's almost 0% chance. One team that sucked, continuing to suck, why not? But either way, you know, I think it will be funny. It kind of reminds me of the last time a team got into the playoffs with a losing record when Washington snuck in. I think there were seven and nine because it was still a 16-game season. And I remember because the Giants were watching a Sunday night football game. I can't remember. I think it was the Eagles and Washington. And so the Giants were sitting there rooting for one of their biggest rivals to beat their other rival so that they could get in the playoffs instead of that team. And the Eagles had a lead in that game and looked like they had a chance to win it. And then they just tanked the second half of the game. Yep. And the, and Washington got in. Uh, that was Doug Peterson's last game as the Eagles head coach. Yeah. And it's like, I, I do wonder if there was an edict sent down from the front office staff saying like, no, don't win this game. Right. And then, and we'll keep you on. <laughs> you fired anyway. <laughs> it sure felt like that. Like they totally were like, oh, we're yeah. going to just give this away in the second half. Well, but like that's an example of a team that is very aware of its draft pick. And like if they had one, they would have lost like three or four spots. When you're a bad team, you think about that kind of stuff because you don't have anything else to worry about. <laughs> when you're a good team, you don't think about that kind of stuff. And I think that's where, that's where the Eagles are going to be. But it will be really funny if this season ends up coming down to the Saints having to watch, because I'm sure that Bucks game, Bucks Falcons game will be the Sunday night game. It'd be funny if like the final game of the regular season oh, ends up sure. being the Saints having to watch the Falcons and root for the Falcons to beat the Bucks so that they can get into the playoffs. But just wait, the Falcons will also jump out to a lead and then Tom Brady will dash that once again. Right, right. Like it's it's like written in the stars. That it's <laughs> exactly <happen>. right. Right. <laughs> 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 like I'm just trying to think like what's the most painful way this season could possibly end the Saints have to root for the Falcons which will already feel so gross and then the Falcons are going to have like a 28 to 3 lead exactly <laughs> oh man it's gonna happen uh now I'm now I'm sure of it now it's like like there's a two percent chance for the Saints to get in but now right, I'm right. like I'm convinced that that is exactly what's gonna happen the Saints are going to – or the Bucks are going to beat the Cardinals. The Saints are going to win out. The Bucks are going to lose to the Panthers. And then Tom Brady's going to come back from like three touchdowns down in the fourth quarter to beat the Falcons and ruin the Saints' uh, playoff hopes. It sounds like you a very 2022 thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what, what makes it so frustrating is like, yeah, you talk about 2%, whatever – if they just hadn't blown that game, the Saints would be like in control oh. of this division right now. Like they would be, it, they it, would have right. That game is now a gut to, and nut punch. You'd be going out to Cleveland saying, if we win this game, you know, we're we're probably gonna clinch this division. We have a chance to clinch this division in Philadelphia. And instead, it's like, man, maybe we can keep their hope or your hopes alive uh, because you lost that lost that tiebreaker, and that's so frustrating. Like for example, if the Bucks 
Saints and Falcons all finish eight and nine, which is very possible, right? Like if the Bucks lose one of three games yeah. and the Saints win out and the Falcons, and, the, and again, that, so it's actually, this is how it could happen, right? Saints win out, like just, just pretend that they do. Then the Bucks okay. win their next two games. They beat the Cardinals, they beat the, the Panthers, and the Falcons win their next two games. Then the Bucks have nothing to play for. They've already clinched the division and the Falcons beat them in week 18. All three teams are eight and nine. Bucks go through. There is a scenario, though, where with Carolina, huh? Yeah, there's, there's a couple scenarios with Carolina. Um, because if they beat the Bucks, then they have the tiebreaker over them. So yeah, that, yeah. that's why the Bucks. So the Panthers have the second best chance in terms <laughs> right. of like percentages. They have like a 23% chance because, like, yeah. So if, if they just went out, if the Panthers went out, they, they win the division. Straight up, all they have to do is win out. So that, like, they're the only team in the division other than the Bucks that actually can say they control their own destiny because they play the Bucks and they're a game behind them. So, and they play the Saints. So, yeah. if if the Panthers win this week, I don't know who they're playing. Let me see. Detroit. Yeah, well, that's a that's a tougher game than you would have thought. For Detroit sure. is seven and seven. They're play, they're as hot as anybody in the NFL right now. Um, but yeah, they're at home. Maybe the Panthers. If the Panthers win that game, and then they beat the Bucks, and then they beat the Saints. The Panthers win the division eight, eight and nine. Carolina, for some reason, just gives the Saints problems too. They have a good defense. Like it's always been a question of offense with them, and it's been a question of whether Matt Rule could be the head coach. But I mean, they have a good defense. They have a good pass rush. They can get it done. Who's the head coach? Steve Wilkes. Oh yeah. Who? I mean, he's been a head coach before. Not a good one. <laughs> the problem is obviously they're back with Sam Darnold and. Man sees ghosts. It's not going to go well there. And you know your other two quarterbacks are down with injuries right now. So I don't know what the who's behind Sam Darnold. Even the Panthers wouldn't surprisingly get rid of Burns. So that's I mean that was a testament to them sticking with defense first. I guess I don't know. Well, I mean, and they still have a chance, right? Like again, the Panthers are right in the same boat as the Saints. If they just hadn't missed an extra point, if DJ Moore hadn't taken his helmet off like a moron, and if they had, or if they just hit an extra point. Or if they had kicked the field goal in overtime instead of missing that, like they would be in control of the division. And just needing, and all they would need is that win over the Bucs, and they would have it. Let's see. I'm trying to and figure they've out. Got, they've got the worst quarterback situation in the division. Yeah. So, I mean, they don't really have, let's see who they have on the practice squad. They have <laughs> Davis Cheek. <laughs> oh, yeah. A rookie out of Elon. Wow. Musk's favorite school. Yeah, so I imagine they'll elevate him from the practice squad if PJ Walker can't be the backup. But yeah, I mean that that is that is a good question because they got rid of Baker Mayfield. Um, Isn't that funny? Carolina's not even like, oh, let's bring Cam back again. The fact is, the Bucks final or the Panthers final three games, two of them are against teams they have already beaten this season. So saying they don't have a chance is kind of crazy. No, I guess that's bad. Just looking at it as they have both on the road to close out. Made me, I guess, jump the gun on that for sure. But you're right. You're definitely right that I can't just discount Carolina, especially uh, we we saw them beat up the Saints in Carolina. That yeah. what was that week three? And they beat up the Bucks. You know, I mean, then they have nothing to lose. <laughs> the coach isn't like uh, worried about his job. He's not even the, a full time head coach. He's the interim head coach. So right, like, they're gonna, like, just think they're playing with house money right now. Um, they could, and they would love nothing more than to just ruin everything for everyone else in the division. So. We'll see. Maybe try and tempt Sean Payton even more to go to Carolina. 
That now that would be another. So we talked about the Falcons. What would be really frustrating too is the Saints win these next two games. They beat the Browns. They beat the Eagles. The Bucks lose two games. All <laughs> they have to do is beat the Panthers at home to finish the season. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be, yes, another fitting ending to 2022. Then, oh, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. So here's the one that would really suck. Okay, and I'm just going through this now. The, the worst Saints, of the worst scenarios. The Saints, the Browns, they beat the Eagles. The Bucks beat the Cardinals, lose to the Panthers. All the Saints have to beat the Panthers to keep the pressure on the Bucks, And then they can't do that. And then the Falcons beat the Bucks. <laughs> That puts Carolina as the one seed? The one, I mean, NFC winner? Four seed. I believe it would, yeah. Right, I mean, right, depending okay. on what happens with the Lions this week, it gets kind of confusing. It's, there's yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot more scenarios that could play out. I'm just kind of focusing on the Saints. But one way or another, finishing 7-10 and 10 or 8-9 and nine for the Saints, even if you miss the playoffs, would still be a win. And the reason I say that is what we talked about before. The Eagles are getting your first-round pick. And the calculus you did in trading that pick was that you felt like the pick you're getting is going to be even or worse than, than the pick you're giving up. Now, if you make the playoffs, then 19 is the, the, the highest it could be for the Eagles, right? Because that's the first pick of the wild card loser with the worst record is 19. But even if you don't make the playoffs, you are then giving up a mid-teens pick rather than a top 10 pick, which right now, if the season ended today at five and nine, the Saints would be giving up the number nine overall pick, which, you know, the team, the other, the the number eight team is Carolina. The number seven team is Atlanta. So like, you don't want to, you don't want to leapfrog them in the standings. You want to finish higher than them because then the pick is two picks worse. Right. But if you go down, I mean, the next one, two, three, four, five, the next five picks, right? So, Number 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all six and eight. And that doesn't include Tampa because they're technically the division leader right now. So they're at number 19. So like winning a couple games, you could end up giving them the 15 or the 16, sure. right? Even if you end up seven and 10. Because then the, other, the next four teams, Seattle, New England, New York Jets, Detroit, all seven and seven. So like if you end up after this season giving the Eagles the number 16 pick, that means you effectively traded the 2023 number 16 for the 2022 number 19. And that's not the end of the world. You know, that's pretty much a fair trade because one of the reasons you did it was so that you could get a jump start on that first round pick, which even though Trevor Penning hasn't been that involved this year, he's going to go into next season with a full off season of preparation, even if he got hurt at the end of the preseason. And then whatever, whatever experience he has at the end of this season, which will jumpstart and he'll probably be your starting left tackle in year two. So to me, that's value there. And, but again, these players aren't going to care about that. That's a front office thing. That is a fan thing. These players just want to win football games. No, I hear you. And I'm, I'm thinking about NFL draft stuff. And what came, comes to my mind, though, right away is the fact that they this team has to get in. I'm not saying it's got to be their you know, first round pick. Obviously, you feel like Sean Payne would have to be involved in that getting a a first rounder back for this team, but in order to get a young quarterback on this team for them to develop, uh, I think that's pretty necessary. And I don't think there's any of the answers in the younger arms and the free agency market to me 
Andy Dalton is still my guy for next year. As crazy as that might sound to some folks. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, where else are you looking? Look at free agent quarterbacks. Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Sam Donald, Jimmy Garoppolo, Teddy Bridgewater. Well, Daniel Tom, Jones is Tom intriguing. might come back with Tom might come with Sean. Yeah, right. We've talked about that. Case Keenan. Uh, but no, you're saying Daniel Jones is in the mix, huh? Well, I mean, he's an interesting guy. If the Giants don't re-sign him, I mean, I don't think this the he's he's a, he's a great quarterback, but I think he can get you. He can be a competitive quarterback, and he's a much better athlete than people give him credit for. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a it's not a it's not a very attractive list, and I think the Giants are going to bring him back. When when you go to the playoffs with a dude, it's it's not that hard because they're going to be able to re-sign him at like twelve to fifteen million dollars a year, and when you can do that, you can you can use that money at other positions, which is really nice. Right. You start selling everybody on the quote unquote continuity factor. Well, continuity and like, you know, one of the difficulties in the NFL is when you have a quarterback making 30, $35 million a year, then it becomes difficult to build a team around him. Whereas, you know, I, I, you can make the argument that you are better off with an average yeah. quarterback making average money. And then, but with an elite defense where you can, you can pay to retain your, your top players. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll right see. now, they've still been able to do a decent job around Mahomes in Kansas City, though. Well, yeah, but they're not as good as they were, right? Like, they, no. they had to get rid of Tyree Kill, and they, you know, like, the defense ages out, and then you can't really bring in young guys. Like, look at Seattle. I mean, they had this incredible defense when on when Russell Wilson was on a rookie deal, but then once you paid him, you know, maybe it became a lot harder. So, yeah. For sure. I mean, that's that's the tough part about having one of your elite QBs. Look at poor poor Aaron Rodgers is be- begging for any receiver help. But all right, I think we I think we went through that. Saints have a chance, 2%. I think it's better than that if you actually like look at the math, but whatever. We'll see. At the end of the day, you're watching the Saints Browns with it with some hope, which, you know, what sports is about, right? About hope. No, there's a lot of hope there and you get to see a quarterback that you were in hot pursuit of and now hopefully can put on his rear this game helping you out because uh, it wasn't too long ago a lot of Saints fans were all aboard with the show and watching train. I don't want to be on that train. <laughs> no, I don't either. Alright, let's wrap up that segment and we'll come back and we'll do a quick quick closeout segment on a few of the guys that stood out to me on film and uh, we're going to name a Saints MVP for the season so far. Uh, stick around. We're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Noack alongside Steve Geller. That last time went long, so this one's going to be short. Um, you know, there short are two, sweet. Yes. There are a few things that stood out on film this week against the Falcons. And, you know, one of those things was, you know, I don't think the run defense was as big of an issue as it may have seemed when you look at the numbers and you look at 130-whatever yards. I think Dennis Allen actually explained this, and I think – it makes a lot of sense, and uh, here's here's what he had to say on WWL this week. Yeah, and and look, I would say this, and, and certainly we, we want to be better, and we need to be better. Um, you know, with the rookie quarterback, um, they ran in a, in a couple of unique situations and, and had a couple of plays that, um, you know, probably, uh, you know, me in hindsight – uh, would have liked to have been in a little bit different call, just knowing that they had a rookie quarterback instead of being such a pass call, be a little bit more in a run call. 
Um, and then, and then really they had the one long run on the, on the third and one. Um, and so, you know, they had probably close to a hundred yards rushing, uh, you know, when we were in more of a three down, uh, passing game, uh, type of call. And so, look, I put a lot of that on me. Um, but yet, you know, the ultimate goal is to win the game and, and, and they had 320 total yards and only threw the ball for 97 yards, and we gave up uh, 18 points. And I think really over about the last four or five weeks, I think we've given up on average somewhere around 16, 17 points a game. And so um, I think that's winning defense. And so although I want the run game statistics to be better, and they need to be better, um, the ultimate thing is to to win the game, and, and we were able to do that. Yeah, and so what what he's saying there is, you know, the Falcons managed to catch the Saints in instances where this this is a point. Where it's like, okay, they're going to start to open up the passing game, right? So the Saints are reacting as if, okay, this is where we expect them to to be more aggressive. So we're going to put a you know a nickel look or a dime look out there, and the but the Falcons never did that, right? Like they just continued to hammer the run and hammer the run to their own detriment. If you want to look at it that way, like the clock ran out on them, <laughs> you know, like the, anytime the clock runs out on you, it's, it's, it's a, it's in part because, you know, you didn't manage it well enough. You get the ball back with nine seconds and no timeouts, you know, you lost that game. So in that, to that sense, like, okay, yeah, you can, you can run the ball between the twenties all you want. I don't think that you're going to be able to run it into the end zone more, more often than not, they, they were not able to do that. And, the Saints were like, yeah, okay, we'll continue to let this clock run. And so that's what happened. Do you want to be better? Which, yeah, like he said, of course you do. Of course you want to stop them. But, you know, they, they had 97 yards passing in that game. So, like, if your goal was to stump a rookie quarterback and make sure he didn't beat you and say, okay, you want to run the ball while you're down, you know, two scores in the fourth quarter, go for it. And so I think that's that's part of it, right? Like, you're, the point is to win, and the Saints had a combination that won that game. And realistically speaking, if David Johnson in the fumble in the first half, you're up two, three scores, and they don't run the ball like they did because they have to throw it. And maybe De- you know maybe Desmond Ritter throws a couple interceptions, and you win that game by by twenty, right? So I I don't th- I think that the product the running in, the rushing numbers of the Falcons was a product of you know them being insanely dedicated to it to a level that you didn't expect and. That's one of the issues that comes in when you play a quarterback that you've never seen play in the NFL before. And that was the case with Desmond Ritter. You didn't know what they were going to do in certain situations. You had to guess. They guessed wrong. It burned them a couple times, but not enough. The balance of that game ended up being on the Saints' side. So, you know, I think it's okay. We did see the run game, though, burn them in week one's matchup, too, though. I mean, so that was obviously more of a, you know, Patterson and Mariota other than Algier and. I guess Patterson this time around. Yeah, well, the Falcons run the ball more than anybody in the NFL, right? Like the, they are they are absurdly dedicated to the run game, um, and it and, you know it it worked. Um, in this case, it was different. It was not the read option that you had seen in Week One. It was a very different setup, and I think the Saints did struggle in part because they didn't know what to expect with Desmond Ritter. They, you they were which was, which was crazy. Ninety-seven passing yards. Seventy was to Drake London, my lord. The, yeah. the, the rookie just dominated for the receiving game there for them, but they had nothing else. And like a third of it was on that final drive that, well, not the final drive, but the penultimate drive that ended in a turnover. 
So the second they started trying to open up the passing game, they turned the ball over. And they should have had more turnovers, right? Like that, Amen. when you look back and watch that Alante Taylor missed interception in the first quarter, I believe, you know, it's just as bad as it looked in real time. Like <laughs> I should have caught that. Hmm. You know, that interception that he had to start the second half, I still think it was an interception, right? Like he could have had another one. There was a couple fumbles that they were able to get back on. So like the defense played a very good game, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... If you're if you're a team that's going to run the ball when you're down by 10 points in the second half, yeah, you're going to put up some yards. <laughs> of course you are. But, you know, you wanted to score faster to, to give yourself a better chance in that game, and they weren't able to do it, and the Saints were able to burn the clock um, running the ball on their own side. So, you know, I think when you look at the, the, the balance of what happened and, like, the total yards and time of possession, you're okay with it. I mean, I think that's what the Saints are going to take out of this game. Now, you're going to go against Nick Chubb, assuming he's healthy, and you got to stop him. And I think you got to be a little more creative in terms of how you go about it. But it's you have scout. You have, you have the ability to scout Deshaun. You have the ability to scout how they use Nick Chubb with Deshaun. And so you're going to have a better plan going in. Is Kareem Hunt still over there? I mean, yeah. I remember there was like contract issues with him, right? Well, he wanted to be traded, and they didn't trade him. Um, but he is still there. He's their third down back. He'll He'll, he'll get in there. Um, I, was say, I haven't really heard much from him this season. I feel like no, I, I had him in fantasy. He didn't do much. <laughs> he's like the ultimate handcuff, right? Like if Nick Chubb ever gets hurt, he's gonna go. He's gonna have like he's an RB one, but Nick Chubb didn't get hurt, so he's uh, he's just been out there. But no, I'm looking. Yeah, Hunt's got really decent stats. Honestly, yeah, solid. Yeah, he's the he's he's for, the, for me, the number two guy, right? He wants to be featured, but he's an important guy, right? Like it's the same reason like whoever the Saints RB two is like it's an important guy. Like David Johnson, that fumble is is inexcusable. And I do wonder if because I, I was impressed with David Johnson in that game, other than that one fumble, but that fumble changed the game. Been with Saints and fumbles this year. That's something we definitely I feel like I'll have to look at numbers of Saints fumbles in the past years, but this seems abnormally high for them right now. You can't blame one back either. No, it's been everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do wonder for for David, because I thought he actually did run well. But, you know, is that fumble going to be what kind of loses him the RB2 job and you give it to Eno and see what he has? Because I, I actually thought, you know, when you when you watched what he was doing in that game, it was like, oh, maybe he will just t- take this job and, you know, has to s- sit there and not get his chance on a third team. But, you know, if you're going to be fumbling, that's not a good look for you. Uh, and so we'll see. I think you'll probably get Eno active this week and maybe try to work him in. I don't know if he's going to be able to be ready. But we'll we'll see. It's a short week. Um, Did David get the ball again after fumbling? I can't recall. I don't know. I, I have to check. He definitely didn't get didn't get it a lot. If he got it, he maybe had one or two carries, and they they hammered Alvin Kamara in the second half. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's and it wasn't a good like it wasn't like a good play by the defense either. That's that's another thing. You look back at it on tape, and like all that happened was you know he's trying to squeeze through a hole. Adam Troutman gets kind of driven back, and he bumps into Adam's back. and just fumbles. So that's not a good look either. But Yeah, I just recall like seeing Andy Dalton diving for the ball and I knew something terrible had gone wrong at that point. Well, like if you go if you go back to the Bucks game in week 2 when Mark Ingram fumbled, like yeah, it's a terrible fumble, but at least you can say like the defender made a great play and he came in and he punched the ball out and like, that'll happen yeah. sometimes is you know if if the defender gets his hand perfectly on the ball, you know, it's there's only so much you can do, but in the, when you're just fumbling, that's 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 worse. Right. <laughs> like, like that's, that's not excusable. Um, the guy who there was a few, the defensive secondary was really good in this game and Alante Taylor in particular, despite the missed interceptions was excellent in coverage in this game. There were the first two Falcons drives. 
feel you have to feel bad for Desmond Ritter because he was doing the right thing. Like the Falcons managed to isolate a rookie cornerback in coverage one-on-one and Desmond Ritter just threw it up and was like, go get it. But Alante had perfect coverage. Like, like you couldn't, there was nowhere to throw the ball. Like he, he just walled him off and it was like, you can't do it better than that. You know, other than maybe catching it. Uh, but like, I mean, this perfect, perfect coverage. And the ball wasn't bad. It was just nowhere for the def- the, the offensive player to go get it. And, you know, it's like back-to-back drives. And if you're the coach, what do you say to him? It's like, yeah, yeah no, that's yeah, your right right decision. <laughs> I mean, you go, you, you get to, when you isolate a rookie cornerback on a receiver and you throw a 50-50 ball, you're like, okay, 50% of the time, we should be able to go get this. Well, not if there's coverage that good. And, you know, he's just getting better and better. It's, you, you love to see him play. If he if he had taken that one interception and gone to the house, yeah, you'd be t- you know, he'd probably be getting defensive player of the week. Yeah, you just got to, I guess, be happy for what you have seen from him. The, the moments definitely don't look too big from him out there. Taylor looks like he's clearly belonged since he's gotten into the lineup for this team. But, man, those balls hitting your hands, you, you hope that doesn't become – a habit and it's just you know we're inching closer to him finally getting that first takeaway of the year and that ends up you know creating a whole rush of takeaways for him but man there I feel like he should have like at least three this season now they'll come they'll come like intercepting the ball is a skill just like anything else and like you know once you when you're perfect in coverage the way he has been and he's been improving every week you know, that's when you can start being like, okay, I'm going to start being a ball hawk here, right? Like, I'm going to start going for the interception rather than just trying to, like, wall a guy off. And we so need he'll, some he'll ball, ball hawking role models. Yeah. The other guy who stands out, and, you know, we talk about these guys every week, is Rashid Shahid. Like, that speed is just different. It's been a long time since the Saints had a guy who could stress a defense the way he can. Like, Chris Olave is fast. Chris Olave does not have that speed. And I don't know what Rashid's 40 time would have been if he ever ran one. He has never run a time 40. But man, he's, he's got to be a four three guy. Like, there's no question. Uh, maybe low four threes. Is that guy? It's a. I mean, he just glides. Uh, and it seems and, like every every one of his movements, not just his feet. It's just amazing how everything seems so quick. He's just smooth. Yeah, he's also the guy who ran over Dean Pease, uh, which he felt bad about it. And like, you, I, they actually had a replay of it. I, I saw it on ESPN. And he was just yeah, he was just backing up to field the kick. And Dean was kind of looking the other way and just. And I don't. I think the issue was more like, you know, Dean Pease is seventy three years old, and he went down to the ground. And I think he's hit his he hit his head. Yeah, that's um, what I heard too. It was more of a the head hitting the turf kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's seven. I mean, you're seventy three years old. I mean, going down to the ground, you know. But he was cleared from the hospital during the game. Yeah. No, I mean, he's. It's good to hear that he's that he's healthy. And yeah, I mean, but I, I, again, when you're seventy three years old and you get knocked to the ground by basically yeah, anything, true, true. You know, you're going you're gonna to have some damage. And so it's good to hear that he's okay. But, yeah, that was Rashid. He felt really bad about it. Uh, we talk, we, he was asked about it after the game. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely nothing intentional or anything like that. No, and, sh- uh, you, know, you know, talking with Shahid is very soft-spoken, humble kind of guy. And you could just imagine how awful, yeah, he totally felt in that instance. But I'm glad he still was able to take it out on the Atlanta's defense. He's a really good kid. I, I do enjoy talking to Rashid a lot. And you know, like eventually he's going to return a kick for a score. It's only a matter of time. Definitely keep waiting for that one. It's like you hold your breath. It's like, is this the one? He's had a few big, big returns. Nothing crazy, uh, but it's going to happen eventually. At least it's not the turf tripping him up anymore. That was an early issue. But like this is like this game, you know, in Cleveland, right? This is a game that 
if you can break off a big return or maybe bring one back to the house, this is gonna this is gonna be a game where offense is hard to come by. I think, and it's a part of the game where if you can break something there, that's gonna make it a whole lot easier to win. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe this will be the Rashid the Rashid Shahid return game. Um, Tell you after la- after last game already, even the kiddos are all about Rashid Shahid. My little guy was like, oh maybe you know instead of that Olave jersey, I want a Rashid Shahid jersey for Christmas. Yeah. Like he's a guy who they're going to keep around. Like, you know, in the, in the beginning of the season, you weren't sure you were like, okay, maybe he's, uh, he's only going to be a return guy. Maybe he's going to do this and that. Now yeah. he's going to be a part of this offense for a long time. And like, no, he's got that it factor. Like you talk about. Well, and what, what, what DA said is like, yeah, we, I mean, we, we liked him. Like we brought him in for a good reason. They didn't anticipate that he was going to be this effective this quickly in the offense. They brought him in as a return specialist. And you really didn't get to see him that much in the preseason. He was coming off a major injury. He's coming out of Weber State, Weber State and FCS school. Like you don't know how that's gonna, that, that skill set's going to transition. And, you know, he didn't get a snap in the preseason, it, you know, in part because of the injuries. But I think largely because they didn't want to showcase him to other teams and risk them coming in on claiming on waivers. Um, and like, yeah, he's been a revelation and you know, the saints do it as good as anyone is, is finding these UDFAs. So we um, stay, we got Dame Lillard and Rashid, the speed Rashid, just speed. It's growing <laughs> on me. All right. So we'll close this episode out with our MVP picks through 15 weeks. Steve, who is your MVP of the saints? At this point in the season, offense and defense included in this. Actually, let's do offense and defense. Let's do one on offense, one on defense. Okay, defensively and overall for the team, I would say definitely Demario Davis for leading the team in tackles. You would never guess he's also the sack leader at this point of the season. He doesn't lead the team in tackles. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. You're, I'm looking at solo tackles. Yes, Demario Davis has 89. So yeah, he has 49 solo and 40 assists. He's jumped on the pile a whole bunch of times. But no, you are you are right. I'm sorry. He, right. he, well, he doesn't lead in tackles. And he, and and he leads the team in sacks. Yeah. He hasn't missed a game. Uh, just a guy that you know is reliable on the field and also someone who is a leader in the locker room, especially. We've heard him, you know, during these dark, adverse times is where you really want to show up. And you can never say Demario Davis isn't giving it his all in a game. Just appreciate his play. And unfortunately, you know, you're wasting another one of his good years kind of thing in this defense of and not making the playoffs with him. Yeah. So, okay, here's here's my pick. And this is what's going to annoy some people, but I've been saying this all freaking year. It's Tyron Matthew. Okay, explain, please. I mean, like, this idea that he's missing tackles left and right, I don't know where it's come from, but, like, it's just not true, first of all. Tyron Matthew is number three on this team. Tyron Matthew, this 5'9 free safety, is number three on the team in total tackles with 70. He is number two on the team in solo tackles with 52. He has a sack. He has two interceptions. He has seven passes defensed. He has not missed a game. He has played 538 coverage snaps. The next closest is 496. So he has played almost a half game full of snaps, more than the second highest coverage player. So Paulson Adebo is number three at 421. So not only has he been effective, consistent, he has been there every week. He has the highest coverage grade of any defensive back on the team. Yeah, so like Cam Jordan, actually, if you look at pro football focus, has the highest coverage grade. It's only, only has like seven coverage snaps, but he's been good when he's, in, he's been in coverage. But in terms of, of any defensive back, Tyron Matthew, his coverage grade is 82.8. 
from Pro Football Focus, right? Let's see. Missed tackles. I'll go down the list. Number one, Demario Davis, 15. Number two, Alante Taylor, 12. Number three, Pete Werner, 10. And then a whole bunch of people with nine, and that includes Tyron Matthew. The others, Paulson Adebo, Caden Ellis, who hasn't even played that much. Bradley Roby and Cam Jordan also has nine missed tackles. So like this idea that he's out there whiffing on tackles left and right, fine. Like it's he, he's missed a few tackles, but you know, you're, if, you're, if, the, if the action is getting to your free safety down the field, someone missed a tackle earlier in most cases. You know, maybe there have been some business decisions, whatever. This guy has been consistent. He's been out there every week. He has two of your three t- interceptions on the year. And if you go back and you watch the tape from this game, he was laying the wood on people. He's made more touchdown saving tackles than probably anyone else. And, and you notice them because it's this little guy trying to tackle a big guy a lot of the time. And so, yeah, he is my Saints MVP. If you want to look at it as, uh, yeah, this idea that he has not made any tackles and he hasn't done anything in coverage. You know, he's been targeted 33 times, 22 receptions. That's 66% completion percentage against, 146 yards. That's one of the lower numbers on the team. Who's your guy on offense? No, I'm not done yet. Leave my man Tyron alone because not only has he been a good player, he has yeah. been a locker room leader in a, in a season when you needed it, right? Like, I just, I don't, it bothers me. It bothers me that everyone turned on Tyron Matthews so damn quickly. I think it's because of the the quality of play in the, the safety position has definitely dropped from the last two seasons. I, I mean, but, you, but here's the thing. And I and I understand why you say that, but the average NFL fan has no idea what the safeties are doing, eighty percent of the time because they can't see them. Like like, and there's nothing wrong with this. Most NFL fans are ball watchers because that's how you watch the game. You watch the ball, so you don't know whether the safety is playing well in coverage. You're only reacting because you saw a highlight where he missed a tackle, and all of a sudden everyone's saying Tyron Matthew sucks, and everyone's piling on him. But if you look at like. Everyone who's analyzing the position, he hasn't played badly. And for whatever reason, everyone just flipped a switch and turned on Tyron Matthew. And all he's done is go out there and play quality, consistent football. And that's what bothers me about it. Um, and so, yeah. It, it, could, it might be from the lack of big plays, too, uh, that everyone expects. He hasn't made a ton of big plays, but no one has, right? No, like, right. Like, if you, I mean, yeah, he has two interceptions. You'd hope to see more across the board. But, like, the defense as a whole has not been making game-changing plays. So it's like you can't hold that against Tyron Matthew, the one guy who's actually made interceptions. So, yeah, anyway. Tyron, if you're listening, I expect that check in the mail within the next few weeks. Uh, Pro Bowl voters agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there's my my rant on Tyron Matthew. But, yeah, like, you look, it's like, oh, yeah, you have a safety who's number two on the team in tackles, right, and solo tackles. And he's the guy you're complaining about? Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, a guy who just hasn't been – I don't even know if he's been on an injury report. I he's can't just think of there. any time, honestly. He's just been consistent, and he he's out there playing hard. He's doing all sorts of shit. He's moving around all the time. He's playing in the slot. He's playing deep. He's playing strong. So you think he comes back next season? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's under contract. Of course he does. Well, that, again, yeah, again, it's like – the only reason you might think, well, he might not come back next season is this idea that he's had a bad year and he hasn't. I mean, look at, okay, okay. One, one more thing on Tyron before we move on. Yeah, I think he and could that, possibly retire after this year. Well, sure. Retiring is one thing. I mean, he is, he is getting up there in age, right? So yeah, maybe he could retire, but it's not going to be a question of whether the Saints want him back. 
And and here, here here's another thing. Okay, so and I know like people can look at the pro football focus grades and say, yeah, whatever. But like at the end of the day, you you're just looking at a baseline, right? Like these are the same metrics they're looking at every year. Coverage grade. His highest coverage grade was 2015 with the Arizona Cardinals early in his career. Obviously, you know, he I'm not gonna question whether he was better back in 2015. Of course he was. Seven years later, this is his second highest coverage grade of his career this season at 82.8 according to Pro Football Focus, who has all these grades, right? His lowest was 2016 for Arizona. His second lowest was 2020 with Kansas City, right? Okay, so look at tackling. This is one of his worst tackling seasons, which fine. You know, if you're asking your 5'9 safety to go make open field tackles all the time, you're going to have a hard time. But from an overall defensive grade, this is his third highest grade in his career from Pro Football Focus this season. So I don't know. If you think that Tyron Matthew is playing badly, it's because you had unrealistic expectations for what Tyron Matthew can do on defense. Because to me, you're you're seeing a very consistent version of Tyron from what you saw throughout his career. And I think a big part of the issue is people remember LSU Tyron and this like all world playmaker. And, you know, he's just not that, but he is still a very good NFL safety. Is he Marcus Williams? No, but yeah, that's it. That's all. See, I just think this could be his last hurrah, honestly. I think oh, he, it's possible. I'm, I'm not going to say he's been God awful, but to me, it just hasn't been good. I mean, he's 30 years I, old and I would I, say he does kind of look tired a little I, bit. I was going to say there's, there's more instances. I feel like he could have made a play than did honestly kind of thing. Okay. I know, right. <laughs> uh, I can't dispute that because they don't know what you're what, it's it's very vague. Um, but all right, let's move on. Okay, let's do this quick. Who's your offensive MVP? Offensive MVP, it's really tough. Obviously, you want to look at I think Jawan Johnson because he has the high receiving total, but I'm honestly gonna say Taysom Hill just for the fact that he has been such a unique contributor to the team and able to get those tough yards when you need them. And I wish they would go to him more when they did need the tough yards. Yeah, that's a good point. He has nine touchdowns on the season. He has two passing, two receiving, seven rushing. It's pretty good. It's tough to give it to Jawan just because of like, yeah, he has seven receiving touchdowns. The circumstances of his touchdowns in a couple of those games were like garbage time, right? Ravens, you didn't have a chance. It was late. Uh, Cardinals, you really didn't have a chance. Two of those touchdowns were late, right? So like the in the sense that if you're only looking at the touchdown total, the circumstances make it a little more difficult, but he has been excellent. Uh, uh, I'm going to give it to the other guy I stand for, and I'll, I'll say Cesar Ruiz. Hey, y'all. It's Jeff. Just one quick note. that We recorded this literally minutes before the Saints announced that Cesar Ruiz was going on injured reserve. I still stand by all the information, but I do need to give you that update because he will be done for the season. So, unfortunately, Cesar Ruiz is out for the year, and... You're going to have to figure it out. But here's my take either way. Just because like I put a big value on consistency and uh, this guy has been there in a season where basically every offensive lineman has missed time. <laughs> he's never, he's never hurt. He never misses the game. He's been, he's, he's had his best season in run blocking. He's been good in pass protection. He's played two games at center, you know, in terms of like doing the most, it's tough to give it to a lineman. But, um, I mean, I think he has been the most consistent player on the offense in terms of availability and consistency. And you know what? If you were going to give it to an offensive lineman, there's no way in hell anybody would have expected you to say Ruiz, especially like over like a Ryan Ramchek even. 
Unless you were talking to me about me. Yeah. Are we doing some inception stuff kind of now? Yeah. Ryan, I, you know, I think Ryan's had a rough season and yeah. like, that's why it, it annoys me is like, it, there's this like echo chamber that people say stuff and then they have it repeated back to them. And all of a sudden Tyron Matthew sucks. Right. And, and it's like, in reality, if you look at, if you look at Eric, who I'm sorry, Eric, uh, Ryan, who like everyone just assumes is playing well. He's had a rough season. He's had probably the worst season of his career. No one's talking about it because everyone's like, everyone's like assumes Ryan is without, without criticism. And, but like, let's see, let's look at uh, pressures. So let us look at pressures allowed. Everyone pressures allowed on the season. Number one, James Hurst, 23 pressures allowed, 15 hurries, four sacks, four hits. That's not great, but Hey, it's James Hurst. He's not a star left tackle. But he's he's filling in admirably. We're not going to pile too too much on James. Those are rough numbers, but we're not going to pile too much on James Hurst because he's James Hurst. You know, like we did. He's been fine. He's done his job admirably. Number two, twenty pressures allowed, twelve hurries, five hits, three sacks allowed. Who do you think that is? I'm going to guess Ramcheck. It's Ryan Ramcheck. Oof. Twenty pressures allowed. Your star right tackle. And granted. You're leaving him on an island a lot because you have to help the James Hurst side, right? So with that in mind, like, fine. But he's had a rough season, you know, and he's supposed to be your star right tackle. Next on that list, Andres Pete, 15 pressures allowed. Calvin Throckmorton, who hasn't even played that much, 14 pressures allowed. Then, then uh, Cesar Ruiz has 14 as well. Eric McCoy has 10, but obviously he has missed a several games. So, yeah, I mean, the other guy you could give it to is, uh, is uh, Chris Olave. But it's, I mean... You know, I think he's had some games where he's he's been very, very, very important. And he's had others where he's disappeared a little bit. I and I don't think his offense has been anything to write home about in terms of production. So No, no. The one thing on Olave to me is honestly is a handful of drops. on, And that's it. If Olave hadn't had those two awful drops that got turned into incomplete passes. Well, actually, the one against the Bucks where he fumbled going to the ground and it was a fumble. And it got taken by the Bucks, And then the one later where he was going to the ground and it was the exact same play, but for some reason it was an incomplete pass instead of a fumble. And then he had the one where it hit him in the head, right? Like those, those are, it's tough to hold those against a rookie, but Hey, if you're going to call someone the most important player on the team, right. you can't have moments like that. And uh, so, and, and I mean, he's, he's probably, you know, if you, if we were doing a vote, he probably would win. Like if you were doing like a Twitter poll of all these players, he probably would get it. What's um, wild is, you know, who wouldn't even be considered as Camara. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, all right. That's what I got. I had to I had to get my stands off my chest. I thought you were going to, honestly, I thought you were going to go with Andy Dalton as the MVP for the offense. No. Okay. Well, so we can hit this before we go. There's <laughs> there's this, this, this idiot on Twitter who, like, he's, like, learning how the internet works in real time. It's, 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 it's adorable. But... So he seems to think that I, I that I'm like anti Jameis, and it's like every time I tweet about anything, it's like, well, you didn't like this when it was Jameis, blah 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 blah, and I'm like, dude, like if anyone had a had like a gripe where they could come at me and say you are being very mean to this player and he doesn't deserve it, it would be like Andy Dalton's family, because I am a jerk when it comes to Andy Dalton. I'm like constantly saying he's not that good. It should be Jameis, like, and and like he's he's been fine. But like he has a ceiling and it's, we know what it is, but like, it's so weird to me that it's like, like there's this reflex 
where there's this like condition of people who they think like anything you're saying, if it's not pro Jameis, it's anti Jameis. And it's like, I love Jameis. I wish Jameis was starting a quarterback. I've said that so many times. You can vouch for this. We have talked about it over and over again on this podcast. But for some reason, I'm anti Jameis for this guy on Twitter. He he came at me about like I was Is talking Jameis about one of one. No, it's not. Okay. It's Zenny moron. Who literally, so John O'Barnes, who's like a local comedian, he does this thing where he does like voiceovers of like interviews and he did one of Jameis and it's obvious what they are. Like un- yeah. unless you just don't understand how the, the world works because it's ridiculous. It's like a content that is not real and you can tell just by listening to it. He saw that and he like did like a YouTube video where he's like, oh my God, did you hear what Jameis said? And then... <laughs> He did a follow-up being like, actually, it was this. And it was like, yeah, everyone but you knew that. Is this a <laughs> a young man? No, no, no. He's just an old dude. Uh, he did a YouTube video, and I only watched it because someone asked me about it. He did a YouTube video where he explained why Jameis was going to be the starter when he was healthy because it was in his contract that he had to be the starting quarterback for the Saints. And if the Saints benched him, they would be in breach of contract. He said that. Like he genuinely believed that. And it's funny because I, I know exactly how he got there. And it's like, he said he got it from Jameis's camp, right? And like someone said to him, the Saints signed Jameis to be the starter. They didn't sign him to be the backup. Because they did. Right. Like, like I've said that. But like you have to have like understand nuance of like like words. And, and, and the, I don't really care about it that much. But like he was talking like shit to me. And like dragging my name. And I was just like, and he was like, I'm not going to repost your stuff to prove it, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's because you're shit posting without receipts. Like, I'm not going to just sit here and let you like, like pretend that this is happening unless you can prove it. And so he went and he like pasted his own tweet, like not like quote tweeted it like a normal human would do, like pasted it in. And it was his response to my tweet. So I had to go back and find which tweet it was. And the tweet, the smoking gun tweet that he had was the game after Jameis got benched during pregame warmups. And he was like bouncing around. He was being very supportive. He was outside the locker room dapping people up. And so I tweeted that because I thought that at the time it was like, there's going to be people wondering whether Jameis is sulking on the sidelines and being a bad teammate. And so I, I put out a tweet to document that he was being a good teammate despite being benched, which I don't think everyone would do. And I think it's a good example of Jameis as a as like a, just being a very upbeat good person like there was a positive tweet about Jameis Winston and that was the tweet he used to prove my anti-Jameis bias it's just like like I get it you know like sure I think there is a lot of anti-Jameis sentiment out there maybe he's just trying to get a rise out of you well it's just annoying because like I don't think I'm that guy you could go find that guy I don't think I'm that guy anyway no, I would definitely not categorize you as anti Jameis. <laughs> if anything, I'd be anti Dalton. Like <laughs> I, I spent the entire offseason being like, Bobby Abraham's an idiot. Andy Dalton's never gonna be the starting quarterback for this team. And yeah, now no now. Yeah. Tur- turns out Bobby knew a thing or two. All right. <laughs> We've been going way too long on this, but it's been a lot of fun. I just all right. I just gonna wrap it up this episode of Inside Black and Gold. It's gonna be a nightmare to edit, but it'll be a good one. It'll be a good just one. Just throw it all together. Who has 90 minutes? <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Getting all the way to the end here. We're getting ready for Cleveland on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a good time. I think we'll still stick on the Thursday schedule for the preview episode because I don't see why not, although you're flying on Thursday, so that might be tough. 
We'll find a way to get it done. Yeah, we'll get it done. But yeah, all right. Anything else? Any parting words? No, now that the Saints are leaving early, I wonder if uh, Deshaun Watson has any uh, massage parlor recommendations. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, darn. All right. I don't even have anything to say to that. Peace, y'all. Oh, Stay oh, warm. Oh. Oh.